Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is Episode 2. In this episode, I'm speaking with a woman named Lacey, who first entered foster care when she was six months old and spent most of her childhood in and out of the system until she was adopted just two weeks shy of her 18th birthday. Today, she's a wife, mother, and soon a foster mother. Her story's remarkable, and for anyone considering opening their heart and home to a teen in foster care, Lacey's story is a must. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, um, I guess my first question is, can you tell me where your life intersected with foster care for the first time? Um, okay, so there's a lot I don't remember because I was so young, but when you're adopted, DHS gives your um, parents, I'm sure you're aware of this as you've adopted, your case file. Yep. Of course, it's a lot blacked out like here and there and stuff, but um, it's so at six months old was the first placement for me. Wow. So I was kind of in, um, I don't know what it's called where you are, but DHS here is Department of Human Services. Mm-hmm. I think other people have called it like CPS or I'm not sure what it is in other here states. In, in Seattle or in Washington, it's DCYF, Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Yeah, my but husband is from um, Bremerton. He's talked about oh. that before. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, okay, so... I was placed the first time, I believe my mom said when she'd read through it, um, around six months old. And basically I just played a game of cat and mouse forever with DHS. Um, they're really notorious in the state of Oklahoma for kind of placing back and then pulling away and then placing back and then pulling away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So through I think all the way, I, like I said, my memories are so jolted. I have what they call trauma blockage. Of and course, so I was in yeah. therapy for a long time, but like the memories aren't always like in order together, but I believe I was 11 when they terminated her right. So it was like, I had an older sister and we were both just like back and forth, back and forth. They would find another reason to take us away and put us back and find another reason to take us away. And that went on for years, but um, I went to 13 different elementary schools. So I moved around a lot. Wow. Yeah, um, it affected the way I learn. It affected, obviously, I had horrible attachment disorders. Um, uh-huh. It was not hard for me to just, like, walk away and not have any feelings in it, even up into, like, my adulthood. I've had to do a lot of soul-searching yeah. and learning because it affects everything. I mean, it can affect my marriage. It can affect... Um, and thankfully, my husband is so considerate, and, you know, he knows that I struggle with things, but he's also been the healer of a lot of those things, wow. um, because I think what kids lack the most in the system um, is stability mm-hmm. and trusting if that stability is, like, long-term or because, I mean, I just, that's, like, the one thing I try to tell people all the time, especially mm-hmm. DHS. We've just started putting, uh, we were just approved on Monday. Wow. So we find, uh-huh, so we're going to foster and we find our contract paper and stuff too. But um, anyways, I try to preach that all the time because it has such an effect on like kids and stuff and it did on me. So my whole life, I basically struggled with like attachment issues and um, I didn't have a lot of trust in the system. Um, and I, that just basically went on. So when they terminated her rights, I was in a foster home, but they wanted to, obviously, immediately they want to start, like, the process of adopting you out. Uh 
And that's really, it was a really like hard thing to process because for so long they're like reunification, reunification, reunification. Uh And to like completely change your mindset, which um, I was not totally upset that they, I asked for the termination of rights just because it's a really hard life to like go back and forth and back and forth and just see that they're never changing. Uh Um, My biological mom had a drug problem. So that was always her number one priority was drugs. Uh And um, that was always the reason they took us away too. Like for whatever reason she would, she would fill a test or she would be on drugs and do something stupid and the police would get called. So, um, once they're like, we, you know, the rights have been terminated, we would like to proceed with adoption. It's just kind of a lot, I think, for a young kid to take on and to process. And so I instead moved to a children's home, mm-hmm. which um, I'm super thankful for. I lived there for almost five years before I was adopted because it gave me a great amount of trust. It gave me a great amount of stability and almost a great amount of independence. Like mm-hmm. it's a little bit different than living in a foster home. Um, so I lived there and then my sister who I was in placement with, she kind of had an authority problem and she was the one that was like super supportive of my biological mom. So she always thought she would get better. Does that make sense? Like nothing she ever did could ever like resonate with her no matter what she was going to get better and it was going to be better and never give up. And I was kind of opposite of that. Like, you know, I lived this life my whole life as she had, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. We just always kind of had different views on it. Anyways, um, when she was 17, she was killed in a drunk driving car accident. Oh, gosh. And so um, that was, like, the closest thing to home I ever had with my sister. And so that kind of set off a lot of triggers with me, which, in the end, is what kept me in the um, children's home, the group Mm -hmm. home, for so much longer Mm -hmm. instead of being adopted out because I just couldn't, once again, you know, like, the processing. There's so many long-term effects that come with being in foster care. And um, it it just, like, the adoption process couldn't. It, could, it didn't sit well with me. Anyways, so I am 17, and I'm still in this group home. I, you know, more my sister. I was, man, that was so long ago. I think I was 14 when she died. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure I was 14. But was she also so, living in the home with you, or was she back with your mom? Okay, so she lived at home. You know, siblings. Yep. And I'm, I think... I think that that's the one thing that they have to hold on to. So I always, always, I think siblings, if there's a possibility, they should always be together. Mm-hmm. But um, Lindsay had kind of an authority problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. because she was so stuck on my biological mom getting back together, like she didn't want to listen to her social worker and she didn't want to listen to the foster parents. Mm-hmm. And there were times where she would like hitchhike back to the city if we were an hour mm-hmm. away in the country or something. Mm-hmm. And so eventually she just emancipated herself I at see. 17. Okay. So um, at the time she was emancipated, like she had her own apartment, she had her own job, um, but she was trailing down the same path that our biological mom had. And I didn't know that till later on. Right. There was a lot, obviously, they try to keep from you when you're so young. Right. But um, so I would say about half of my life in DHS, she was with me. Okay. But a lot more times she was in like therapeutic foster care or they couldn't keep her in it. And so they would honestly, this sounds horrible. They would just give her back to her biological mom. Like we can't, we, she's going to get hurt yeah. doing what she's doing or, you know, taken or whatever. And so a lot of times she would be back with her. 
I got. Gotcha. I hope that answered your question. Sorry. Totally. Totally. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 17. Your sister's been gone now for three years or so. Yeah. And you've been living in this group home and it's been a good experience for you. You would, you would describe that time in the group home as a good time, a good experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like eight other girls in a home. And so I think it taught me, like I said, like independent stability, um, trust, you know, all the things that I needed and also like uh, good relationships, like with the other girls around me, like bonding and stuff like that, that I hadn't had before, before, and, um, I'm beginning my senior year and my caseworker is like, are you sure that you don't want, you know, because I, um, I played soccer. I did leadership conferences for DHS. I used to go speak on the foster care panels, mm-hmm. you know, like when they, the training for taking in new foster parents, I would go yep. speak at those. I've been yep. to Washington DC and she's like, you're a great kid. Mm-hmm. You have all these things. I had been to like rotary leadership camps and, you know, like, um, college youth conferences to speak out and stuff. So, I mean, I feel like I had my head on straight. Yes. And she's like, I really think like if we put a request out there, like I cannot remember what it's called. I really should call her and ask her and find out, but it's basically like they interviewed me. Like I was interviewed by the news, mm-hmm. which doesn't get to happen very often because you know, we're protected minors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, like, I remember I got to get like my hair done and my makeup done and they did this and my parents still have it on a cassette tape somewhere. Yeah. I mean, not a, a VHS tape. VHS, and yeah. <laughs> anyway, so all these, yeah. So all these um, home studies came in from all over mm. and like all over the U S so suddenly and, a bunch of people want to adopt you. Right. And I still was like, so shaky. Like I, I didn't really, I mean, I just, you know, like the system I felt like had failed me so many times and it wasn't yes. necessarily the system, but it's just like my thought process. Like I felt like I had been failed by it so many times and so many caseworkers and so many promises and so many, we will do better. You know what I mean? And so yeah. To like step out and put yourself in a family where I, even though I've done it a hundred times before, like it's so unsettling, especially when you're 16 and 17 and to you, you almost, first of all, this sounds horrible, but you almost have an entitled attitude because you've been put through so much. Nobody understands you. You deserve better and you know it. Mm -hmm. And and you've been let down so many times it's like there's no you just can't resonate with it anymore yeah and so she's like telling me about all these people that are so interested and I'm just like first of all I didn't want to move I um, live in Oklahoma so I did not want to move out of the only thing that I've ever known because when you've been in something for so long like you (laughs) The, the philosophies, they say, like, they have their one trash bag and they take it everywhere and it's only theirs. Like, I was very much that. Like, what was mine was mine. You know, right. this was my home. This was all yes. I had. This was all the one thing that I could cling through, you know, to that I had had forever was I had always lived here and I didn't yes. want to leave. Yes. And so, and I had been to so many, like, ad- adoption parties that they have, you know, and so mm-hmm. many like, adoption gatherings and stuff with no interest in any of them. So... Um, my caseworker, like, I don't know how that process works. I guess they like file through and see which one would like fit you or whatever. Sure. Yeah. They like look I for said, I'm not really college. sure how that works. Well, it's funny because it reminds me a little bit of like online dating or, yes. you know, I've said to our teenager, like, 
you know, I mean, without wanting to get weird, there's a lot about this that's similar to marriage in the sense of you're making a commitment to somebody and their family. You're not just marrying the person. You're not just marrying or you're not just getting adopted by the mom and dad. You're getting adopted by the whole family. And you need to know what you're getting into and who you're going to be associating with, you know, and what what their level of crazy is because every family has stuff, you know, and yes, they do. Anyway, yeah, and you don't know until you're you're in it or you know, and so you've spent time. So anyway, I can only imagine like you're combing through all of these home studies or they are trying to find a family that's a good fit for you, but you can't really know until you're with people. Right. And yeah. I think that I was so unsettled to begin with that it already made it harder for them. Yes. Because I was like, oh no, kind of like your daughter, you know, like it, it was my choice. It this is in the beginning, you know, they were always like, This is your choice. This is what you want. And I always mm-hmm. said like when I was 17 and I realized, you know, like, I think this is the time. The one thing I said is like, I, I want a dad to like walk me down the aisle one day when I get married. And like, I want a a support behind me because you have like your social worker Mm -hmm. and of course you have DHS, but when you come through a life of like them just pulling you whenever they feel it's right, you know, or like family saying, yeah, you can stay here or here or for whatever reason, you know, not like things not working out. It's hard to have like a constant, honest support system that you can always count on. And I knew as I was getting older, you know, it's my senior year, I had plans and dreams and stuff. Like I just knew that I was not going to let the system own me. And I felt like if I aged out that the system was going to own me. And I'm sure you're aware, like everybody has the same, oh, they've been in foster care their whole life. They grew up, they aged out of foster. It's such a stigma to be born. Oh, it 100%. gives you such a complex. Yes. It can give you such a complex. Even when we went through training for us to foster now, like the things that people were saying in there about older yeah. Yeah. kids, like breaks my heart because I'm like, same. you know, if you guys would just give them. Yeah. First of all, you would just give them empathy and like try to understand what they've gone through instead of like molding them into what you want them to be. Like it would change their life. Absolutely. You know, I did just a side note. I did a body, a vlog, sorry. I did a blog post and a video a few months ago specifically on this. And, and I was like, so I'll send those to you. Maybe they'll give you some encouragement to okay, somebody's yeah. out there <laughs> appealing for, you know, for older kids and teens, but yeah. 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 The stigmas, they, there definitely are a lot of stigmas. And I think like with anything, um, there are certainly cases where the stigmas ring true, but they're not always true and they're not even usually true. I think that the loudest press, but that's not actually usually the case. So I totally agree. I mean, like when we went through our training, I knew the lady that did it. We used to do panels together and at the very end, she was like, I just want you guys to know, like, like this is someone you know she's fostering now and her and her husband are stable and she went yeah. to college and she yeah. has here and have to stay some of their kids like yeah this is what can be when you are willing to open up and love without boundaries and without assumptions and you know without competitive feelings on what you think they're going to turn into or yes. what and it I just I don't know it's so it's so frustrating. And well, that's it, the thing that I, oh, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, I think from the foster parent side, um, or, you know, from the parent side, whatever, I think there is, and I, I'm going to use the word selfish. It's, it's hard to say that about 
my people. Right. But, but I'm like, I think there is this sense of you are choosing to become a, a parent, a foster or adoptive parent, because you have this vision for family. And unless you can get to the point and it took me a little while to get there, but I can say, I think in a lot of ways I've, I've, I'm there or I'm getting there to lay down my vision for what this is going to be like and what my kids are going to be like and what our family is going to be like to like lay down a lot of that and to see the kids for who they are and to like join them in their, um, you know, in, in their identity as well. I, I don't know how to put it other, you know, to say like, here's the, we have a family culture. I'll say like here in our home, we have a family culture, basic values, basic, like, um, things that we want in the home, you know, maybe, right. um, right. you know, like we eat, we eat meals together. We have a family meeting every Sunday. It's important to us that we do things together, but everyone yeah. has a voice. And I think that's one of the things like that was a huge, huge shift for me, recognizing that, um, empowerment is one of the two most important things that kids need from their parents. They right. need, empow- they need empowerment and they need connection. And I think a lot of parents, when either we're parenting from a place of fear, because things aren't going the way we thought they would, um, we don't, we're not likely to empower and we're less likely to connect because we're operating out of a place of fear. And I think if parents can't really recognize that and say, how can I operate from a place of love, meet this child where they're at, not try to conform them to my idea of what my kids could. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. And I think that's a huge mind shift though, that, um, well, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast and writing the blog and making the videos is because I know that a lot of people go into it with a very different mindset. And if we can't make that shift, we're in for a really hard path for us and for the kids who come into our home. Right. And I mean, my husband is even the same way. Like his parents have been married his whole life. Mm -hmm. He has a sibling. They've never gone through any kind of separate, like, you know, Mm -hmm. he's never known the other side, I guess. That's the only way I ever explain that to him. I'm like, well, I've seen both sides. Yep. And for him, even going through the training, like was so eye opening to him because he knows me and my heart and everything I've been through, but to see it like right in front of him where you cannot deny it. And it's all, you know, like, I think that that completely changed his view because we all have like, especially foster parents going into this, we all have like this vision of family, like you said, and especially, I think it's harder if they've had their own biological children because you have the way that your children react to situations oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. the things that they've been through. But your children, most times, if you're a foster parent, have never really seen anything traumatic like that. You know, I mean, they can. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> they, there are traumatic experiences. But when you bring in a child who is... Um, been, you know, even if they've been hurt or neglected or harmed or abused and they've been taken away from that, that is the only thing they've ever known. So even if it was terrible to them, that was life and that was their home and that was their safety, no matter how horrible it is. So to be taken away from that and to place somewhere else and to be told, you know, like, this is your home for now. We want you to jump right in. We want you to love us. Like, we're going to love you. We want you, you know, that is so like mind boggling, yeah. especially to a child that has only other, only ever known, you know, something else that's so traumatic and mind boggling. And you have to, first of all, like accept them for their resilience to even be able to, to try to live, you know, this new normal. Yes, and I, yeah. I just think that a lot of times 
foster parents struggle. I realized this when I started talking in the panels. I think a lot of times foster parents struggle, like putting themselves in the mindset of what this child is in now. And, you know, rather than trying to mold them into what they want them to be, like they need to be willing to work with them and to accept them and whatever their quirks are or however they're dealing, you know, to allow them to have their emotions and, by doing more of that, I think that, that is showing them a safe place. And I think yeah. that that's what they're looking, they're looking for. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, um, I want to, I want to get back to your story in a second, but I will also say one of the big, one of the loudest bells I'm ringing these days on my platform is the importance of foster and adoptive parents to really study and learn about the effects of trauma, childhood trauma, because I think if you, if you don't understand that, then you will treat things like behavior problems and they're not behavior problems. They are, they are deep inner broken, you know, hearts and, you know, souls that have been so hurt by, um, you know, not just their parents, not just the circumstances that brought them into care, but then the system itself, you know, and I, I've seen that with our, you know, with some of the kids that have come through us, some of the things that some of our kids have been through after coming into foster care, it's like, you know, and that's a whole other story, you know, and, and again, part of the reason that I want to help not just bring more foster parents, because there is a need for more foster parents, but foster parents who are really doing a thoughtful job, you know, and not just, like, well, we're giving them a bed and food, so they should be happy. Right. <laughs> you know? Which is what I grew up a lot in, unfortunately. Oh, like, the system has changed a lot. Yeah. Like, even since we've gone through training. And I'm so thankful for that because it gives me hope and, you know, realization that they're doing whatever they can now. It's more for the child. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. We're trying. I think there's a lot of effort, but you know, I think then the the sheer like numbers of people on caseloads, you know, I mean, one of the case managers that we were working with recently, she said she had 30 kids on her caseload and I was astounded. I was astounded. I mean, how you, anyway. Okay. Well, back to, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I do that. I'll just like go off because there's so many like side notes to one thing. So just like reel me back in. (laughs) Yeah. No. And the same year. I mean, that's why at the beginning I was like, how much time do we have? Because I was like, (laughs) I know that this, I could go on some serious, uh, some serious tangents. I'm just going to kick my cat out because she's starting to meow and it will be on the recording. Anyway, I had to just stick around the room. Um, Okay. So, so you're 17, you've got all of these people and that has to also be weird because now suddenly you're the person everybody wants. Like it's gone from you being shuffled around from house to house, 13 different schools, how many different foster homes, all of that. And suddenly all these people are writing in and saying, we want to adopt you and have you forever. How do you decide how to, which family to join? <laughs> I, honestly, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, my caseworker talked to me a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I don't even really remember the conversation when my parents came about, like, honestly, like there was so much going on. Plus I was a senior in high school. Yep. I played, I mean, I played soccer. I had a job. Like I had so many, I went to church, you know, mm-hmm. three times a week. Like it was just so, there was so much going on and she was just like, okay, pause. Like we have a home study that I think will really fit you. Um, and she's just like giving you like me, like the rundown. 
and I agreed to meet with him. And of course, I'm still like so shocked. I remember there was this one family from Montana, and I think he was like a police chief or something in this family. And she was telling me about him, but I was just thinking, like, Montana, what I don't even, <laughs> yeah, like, kind of just like mind boggling. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so she's like, if you'll just like agree to meet, we'll set up a dinner. Um, we'll see how things go. And like I said, like, from that moment, it didn't just, like, click. This is not, like, I saw my soulmate and fell in love. Like, that's not how. It's terrifying, first of all. Yeah. Um, My dad had a son and daughter from a previous marriage, and my mom had never had any children. Okay. So they, um, my mom is a CPA. She's really high up in a corporation corporate, I can't even say it. She's really high up in a company. Uh Um, and my dad was also a director and he was, um, like of management and he was pretty high up too. So they're super busy. Um, my brother, my sister was in college already and my brother came to my parents every other weekend because it was for my dad's previous marriage. So Mm -hmm. they're like no kids at home. So that's why they wanted an older child because they're, they're super busy. They're super, you know, they're both really educated, really all about their job. They work a lot. Um, I wouldn't say workaholics, but they did work a lot, Mm -hmm. but they gave me enough attention and stuff. So Mm -hmm. going into that was kind of like so different because I came from a children's home with eight girls. Right. And Mm. so I remember like the first time we went to eat, we all went to eat with my social worker and my adoption worker. And, um, (laughs) I think I said like three words to them because I'm just like staring at this family. Yeah. And it's so hard from the outside looking in, because I remember just thinking like, this is what it's like to have it all together to like be, which in my brother and sister's events, they had lived, I mean, their parents had divorced. They had lived their normal, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, I just remember like sitting there, like staring and like, this is what it is to, you know, like what it would have been like to grow up mm-hmm. in a quote, quote, normal family and to not have been, you know, shuffled around and moved from place to place and just to have lived a different life. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, and my parents are always super sweet. Like I tell people all the time, that's how you can tell the integrity and the love they have and the kind of people they are is they were willing to take in a terrible, rebellious, mm-hmm. hostile 17-year-old girl. And I mean, like I said, like I had my head on my shoulders. I did conferences and stuff and I knew what I wanted, but do not play. I was horrible. Like I had severe attachment disorder. Mm. I, I had this attitude, like I had been dealt the wrong card Mm -hmm. and just basically like a life of struggle. And I was so young. I had, I had been in therapy, but I still had not like resonated within myself how to, um, fully accept who I was and what I had been through and how to deal with it. I had not done any of that. So I was just like, kind of like wild and free with my feelings and also, um, very like spirited. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and I tell people all the time, like my parents are the best people in the world, because if that was me trying to take care of another version of me, I don't think I could have withstood it because I just, I was so angry at the world, I think, 
And even like the offering of being adopted, like I was just so angry that what had been dealt to me had been dealt to me. Right. And yeah. I mean, there's so emotion already in a 17 year old or a 16 year old. So emotion and you don't fully know how to deal with it because you're not an adult. You're still, you know, you still have a somewhat mind of the child, but also you're turning into a teen and you think that, you know, you can do everything and you don't need anyone. And the people that you did need have let you down and have, you know, done nothing for you. And so I'm just like walking into this with my parents and it was a rough ride. I mean, probably until... I had my, my first son and that was a while. Like it just, I was very hard of accepting love. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very hard of giving love. Mm-hmm. I let it affect all the relationships around me. And the one thing that I say to people is like, my parents never gave up. My mom calls us the forever family mm-hmm. and not, she jokes all the time because it was took forever, you know, for yeah. every day. <laughs> not just and we're now, committed to you forever, but it's going to take forever. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I mean, we are a forever family, but there was just so much like hurt and anger and frustration at everything. I think in more so it's like, well, I've been through so much and now you just want me to sit back and be like, yeah, I have a great life. This is great. Right. I'm getting adopted by these great people and everything is great. But there's so much that's unsettling from your past that it's hard to like layer over it. Does that make sense? Like, of course. Yeah. And I wonder if there's also a, a, like, if there's a part of you that's like waiting for that time when they decide it's just not going to work out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was, I, we did, um, I don't know how you did it when you adopted, but we did like every weekend visit. No, and that, we had our kids in foster care. The whole, like, oh, we had okay. Them, yeah. They were placed with us and we were, we had them through like, you know, oh, we're, they're going to be reunified and then court would come and oh, no progress. They're not going to be reunified. And then ultimately, you know, they t- filed for termination and you know, all of that. Yeah, so um, yeah. My husband and I are doing foster to adopt as well. Yeah. So that's basically how they explained it would be with us. But um so mm-hmm. my parents were not foster parents. Right. They were adoptive, just right. adoptive. Right. So yeah. Um, and here here the the child has to live with you for 6 months before you can petition for adoption. That's what happened. So okay. um well I want to say it was longer than 6 months. If so it was right at 6 months. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, it started with like the weekends, and then they were like, "Would you like to move in with us?" And I mean, I still was like super unsettled by then. Yeah. But it was a home, and they were nice, and they were caring, and they were willing to meet my needs and take care of me, you know. And um, I always had a closer relationship with my dad. My mom is um, an accountant, and so she's like super. She hates when I say the word anal because it's not nice, is what she says. But <laughs> she's very organized. She's yep. very organized, very on top of everything. Um, doesn't let anything get by. And I was like a seventeen-year-old, <laughs> clothes everywhere, hot mess express. Yeah. And so my dad was more like me. Like he was kind of like a Spitfire, kind of like me. Um, okay. He, you, he had, he had two previous children from a marriage. So he had raised a teenager, mm-hmm. <laughs> a teenage daughter. And I think he just kind of let me be myself more. And I don't think I'd ever tell my mom that cause it might hurt her feelings, but, um, maybe not now that it's been 12 years. I'm sure she remembers how awful I was, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> 
see, my dad was just willing, I feel like, to let me be more myself, like to let me just like work through who I was and like who I was becoming. And um, they basically just asked, you know, like what, I think in like, like a month or two before it happened, like, would you be willing to let us adopt you? Um, we love you and we know that, you know, you are who you are, but we're willing to accept you and everything that you are, if you're willing to accept us. And of course I said yes. And, um, it went through two weeks to the day before my 18th birthday. Wow. And yeah, that was 12 years ago. And, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not kidding when I say like the first five years were like rocky. Mm Mm-hmm. It's because I think that I still had so much to work through. Like I didn't realize I'm, I'm in my thirties now. Like I didn't realize like how, how much like this affects you through your whole life. Like if I, what I, if I had known then what I know now, like I think I could have worked a lot more through it, but there's just so much that you have to be accepting of, even of yourself, if right. that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, you yeah. know, like this is this is what I was given. This is what I've been through. This is how I've overcame it. Um, this is the disorders and reasons I struggle with certain things. These are triggers. Like the, I just basically had to lay everything out and mm-hmm. accept it and learn to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The well, have you read a book called "The Body Keeps the Score"? No. Oh, that's one that if you if you're interested in continuing to kind of look into this and study it more, um, you would really recognize a lot of yourself in it, I think, but also be validated for, you know, how our bodies, even when we're not thinking about things, like you said, there are things that you don't necessarily remember in order, or maybe even certain things that you've blocked out, but it's still, your body still remembers it. And it could be things like, you know, a certain smell or a certain sound yeah. or yeah um smells are my triggers that's the one thing always it always has been and I didn't realize that until I went through therapy that that was like a trigger for me mm-hmm. yep I just yeah. thought it was like holding my memories or whatever sorry I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. oh not in the least no I no I just that it's it's um it's really been fascinating to me and that's why I think it's really important for uh, for anyone who is a caregiver to children who come from trauma to really dig into this and almost become like lay students of child psychology because yeah. um, it, it wasn't until I started really understanding this because I, to be, I mean, and I'm pretty transparent about this, about how hard I was the first year. Um, I didn't know what to do with my, with one of my kids and like his behaviors um, triggered me. And so both of us were in panic modes most of the time, you know, like I had no tools. I had no idea. And so I would resort to kind of my idea of parenting, which was of course to discipline and and consequence, you know, a child who was acting out. And like, so I would respond to his bad behavior by consequencing him, taking away television, taking away toys, you know, putting him in his room, like, you know, and none of that, none of that was helping him in any way, shape or form. It was only exacerbating the problem. And you know, it wasn't until I began to really learn about that and, you know, learned some positive empowering parenting skills that I was able to start responding. And I still have to fight it in myself because we all have triggers. We all have panic responses and mine, mine is fight and my son's is fight. And so (laughs) the two of us, you know, are both provoked, um, you know, we're not physically fighting, but we're like screaming at each other, you know, and none of that is helpful. And so I think, um, 
just trying to be, I'm trying to be transparent about the fact that this has been a real journey for me of dealing with my own stuff so that I can be able to be a calm model and try to model something for my kids rather than only amplifying it by, you know, engaging, meeting them where they're at instead of trying to show them like a, a maybe a healthier day or whatever. But well, and I think for so long, I know that's how I was. Like, I think for so long, fight or flight is all they know. Yeah. So I was, I always fought with my words because nothing else, you know, you can't do anything else when you're that little, but for them to know that you disagree with this or that you're upset with this, no matter what you're saying, a lot of them come from fight or flight. I think always. Yep. I don't know if there's more that you would want to share about the last seven years. You said the first five years were really challenging. If there was like a point you said you had your son and you sort of turned a corner, I would love to hear what things are like for you now with your family. Does it feel normal? Have you you settled into? Yeah. So, um, I think that I probably didn't call my parents, mom or dad for a hot minute. I don't even remember when, I mean, even after I had my first son, like it was, my mom was there for me. Like I allowed her to be there for me because I, at that point, like I would tell people, these are my parents, but I still called them by their first names. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and I think by the time I had my second son, which is two years younger than my first son, um, I had started calling the mom and dad and we, everything is normal. Now, I mean, like I, my parents know me better than anyone. My husband is a pretty close second or right up there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they know how, like I react to situations. Um, I think I've come a long way. My mom tells me that all the time. Like you are not the person you were when we adopted you. And we're so thankful. Mm-hmm. Although we loved you then, like you're now mm-hmm. I'm, um, willing and accepting of love and like, even like little things like compliments and, um, I don't know any, any kind of affection mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. I still struggle with, but also, um, I am more allowing of that, I guess. Yeah. But being a mom also changed that because your kids are going to give you affection regardless. Like you just right. have to get used to that, you know, like your kids right. are going to love you even on your bad days and on your good days. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> my mom also taught me for, um, I'd say, yeah, the last, I mean, from the beginning, but it's been like a closer relationship the last seven years, okay. like how to be a mom and how to handle situations better. She's, like I said, she's kind of organized. She always thinks everything through. Whereas when I came to them, you know, like I said, I was a spitfire. I was, um, fight or flight all the time. I immediately reacted to everything without thinking. And so she's really taught me how to like, better myself and, um, handle situations more thoroughly (laughs) without just immediately, you know, um, going into the fight or flight mode. But also, um, my dad is like my hero. I knew that when I met my dad, that whoever I married one day, I wanted to be like him because he truly has a servant's heart. He would do anything for anyone. And my parents have always been the ones to like, never, um, make me feel like I was adopted. Like, in, mm. if that, um, yeah. so my mom's redheaded and my dad has white hair and my dad's like five, nine, my mom's like five foot, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm five, five and I'm half native American and half white. So I get real dark in the yes. summer and yes. have dark eyes and dark hair. 
but people just know that know us like, yeah, those are her parents. Don't ask questions. Like they, like people that don't know us are like, okay. But my mom would never, she'd be like, is that your real daughter? And she's like, yeah, I'm her real mom. Like I'm real. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no difference. And we've also, you know, we're never afraid to be like, I tell people all the time. And so my friend tagged me in your post. People know, like I'm adopted because I also think that my story is, um, which I didn't go into like a horrible amount of detail here, but there's a lot of detail behind it. And my story is, um, I think like a forgiving one and a accepting one and an important one, because a lot of times I think that people just kind of shove teenagers to the side and my parents were willing to allow me in their home and to love me through everything that I was. And I was a lot of everything. I mean, even through like, I mean, I, I did good with like school and sports and stuff, but at the same time I had so much underlying like PTSD and traumatizing effects from everything that happened. And no matter what, they were just like, that's okay. We're going to work through this. Like, Oh, something else. That's okay. We're going to work through this. And that has come through, you know, the last 12 years, like my parents. Now we have dinner every Sunday and my dad takes my oldest son to guitar. My, you know, my kid's favorite person in the whole wide world, their people are their nanny and papa. And they don't, they know my two older boys know I was adopted. Like we've talked about that as, like I told you, we're going into fostering and stuff. And I've kind of explained to them, but to them, which I think more people should have child like mine, because to them, there's no difference. Like they share the same blood as their nanny and papa yeah. and nobody could tell them otherwise. Yes. And you know, my parents are great, great grandparents. They love my children. They love my husband. Like I swear all the time that that's their favorite child, but (laughs) I'm I'm like, he's your favorite. I know it, but you know, like there's no different. Like I wish for all of the children in the world that are in placement or in foster care, that they feel the love like that immediately. Because I think in the end, that is the one thing that like healed me. Mm. Sorry. It makes me like emotional, like Oh, it's that, emotional. I mean, cause this is, I'm, I'm on the flip side of it. And yeah. this is what, I mean, all the things you're saying are what I hope someday my children can say, you know? Well, and I just, I tell people that all the time because they're like, Oh, I'm nervous or I'm scared. Or I'm like, everybody's nervous and everybody's scared, but we like me in that child's position because all they're looking for, like at the end of the day is love. And I would not have told you that at 17, I would not have thought that I was looking for love or that I was looking for care. You know, I think that's why it took me so long to get adopted. Like I was good. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was good and I didn't need, you know, I had carried myself for so long through everything that they had put me through. And so I had like, that's what I mean. Like I had that entitlement attitude, like they let me down and they didn't do anything for me. So I'll do it for myself. Yeah. And yeah. so to go into a home where my parents just loved me from the beginning um, not to the end because we're still going, but like from the beginning until now, that healed me the most. Yeah. And, you know, I've yeah. done a lot of reading and I've done a lot of research and I've attended a lot of classes just to try to figure out like the better me and everything that I went through. Because when I was in it, they didn't have names for disorders right. and they didn't recognize like ACEs or, you know, they didn't yes. have any of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. I'm so thankful that they have it now to like recognize that in children, like, no. I recognize that even in my own children who have never been through trauma, you know, like we have grace days, like you, okay, I realize you're having a bad day today. I'm going to give you grace and we'll try again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we have redo moments where they come at me and I'm not okay with the way they did. So I'm like, you need to redo. 
And I just, I wish that people would have more grace days and more redo moments for kids in foster care who do not know how to react to any kind of situation after they've been traumatized as much as they have. And even if they're like, well, they were just taken away because they got left outside for five hours or I don't know what, like the least thing they would take you away for, but even something simple to the foster parent, that child has been moved away from the only life they've ever known. So they're going to be traumatized. And so I just wish they would remember, you know, like grace and love, like that's seriously everything that carried me through. And the relationship that I have with my parents now, I've had friends say, you know, like, I love how close you guys are. I love how, like, we're together all week long. We do family dinners on Sundays with my parents. My kids know it. Every Christmas, we stay the night over there. Um, you know, Christmas Eve, we live two minutes away, and we have to pack everything up, including the dogs, to go stay the night over there. Because my <laughs> kids it. know that tradition. They want to wake up on Christmas morning. At yes. Yes. And it just, you know, like, mm-hmm. I would choose, after everything I've been through, 18 years of that, I would choose nothing else because I think it made me the mom that I am. And I think that it also made my the parent, my parents, the parents that they are, because my parents will tell you, like, they've grown so much in 12 years. Absolutely. And, yep. you know, they had these two children from my dad's previous marriage that, you know, were what people would call normal, quote, quote, I guess. I don't ever know a real normal, but right. I've yeah. heard a lot of people say that, like, they have a normal childhood versus my childhood, which was, you know. not normal or whatever. And my parents will tell you that they have grown so much in 12 years because you get a child who has been through everything that I went through or even, you know, just a little bit. And if you're willing to open up your heart and to love them for who they are and who they want to be and give them grace and give them love, then that's I just think it will heal so many. I think it will heal. And not even and just them that maybe like in you and especially if you're going into fostering for the right reasons, like if that's what you want to do, which I, I hope and assume that's what everyone goes in for. They want to to help and to heal children. And then, mm-hmm. you know, grace and love go a really, really, really long way. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because I know, um, there are people who go into fostering because they want to adopt and have children and, that is their, like they want children. And so they're going to go into foster care. And I tell people you have to go in because you are committed to helping this child heal. Right. Cannot be about, yeah. This cannot be about you building your family. This has to be about you creating a space for a child to, um, to have, you know, have room to heal, have, like you said, a lot of grace. And, you know, my husband also says this, and then this is kind of what you're alluding to, I think with your parents, this will make you the foster slash adoptive parent, a better person too, because yes. it will force yes. you to really deal with whatever selfishness you have, it's going to come out. <laughs> and I yes. think that, that first year for me, um, I never knew how angry I could get until I had this little, you know, five or six year old child behaving in a way that was completely, I had zero control, you know, and, um, you know, we say like a lot of his stuff took over the house and, and I, you know, um, and that brought a lot of ugly out in me. So all of the therapy that he needed, I also needed therapy to help me to a place of like, um, okay, I've got a lot more control issues than I realized. I didn't realize how 
how upset I can get when I'm not in control of the situation. And so really like it, but I can honestly say it's made me a much more patient person. It's forced me to like be less in control and be okay with people. I mean, my daughter talk about a spitfire. She's amazing. And I'm in awe of her and she is there is no way I could control this little girl. You know what I mean? And I don't want to, I want to let her, I want to let her um, be herself and emerge and let who she is come out. But the truth is like, that means that there are times when I have to be okay with her hair looking a different way than I would. And she's only five. I mean, we're not even in the teenage years yet. (laughs) I feel the same way. My daughter's redheaded and she has got fire in her soul. Yeah. I tell people all the time, like she's a redheaded Indian. Like she will never listen to anything I say ever. I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, and you know, another thought occurs to me, and I don't know if this is something you've really like thought consciously about, but I'm imagining you on Christmas morning, watching your parents with your children and getting to sort of even have almost like a vicarious experience of what it would have been (laughs) like for you as a child in their home. Right. Yes, it does. And I mean, even like them, um, this makes me emotional again, sorry. Even like them, like my dad, he loves to take my son to guitar lesson. And I just, I, or he'll take my daughter to dance sometimes. And people are like, well, if you're available, like, why don't you? And I'm like, that's not, you know, like I would have loved to be 10 years old and been taken, you know, to have that experience. Like they're going to forever look back and know that they had parents that loved them and they had grandparents that loved them. And so for me to like live through that and let them do that with them is everything. Yeah. Yeah. The, the redemption in your story is one of the most profound I've heard. And I am so encouraged to talk to you today, Lacey. I'm so encouraged. And I can't wait to share this because for the very reason we've talked about, I, there are so many older children, teenagers who people have just decided they want little ones. They want little ones. I think somehow they're going to escape some of the challenges or I don't know what, but it's their loss if they're not willing to give teens a chance. And so hopefully by sharing your story and putting this out there, more people will consider opening their hearts and homes and forever families to teens in in the system. So I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. I just um, so appreciate you sharing today. I know it's not easy to probably revisit some of these things, but um, if anybody can be helped by hearing your story, I'm super grateful. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you. I hope that they can be helped. You've been listening to a Fostered Life podcast. For more information and resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com where you'll find blog posts, YouTube videos, and social media links so you can connect with others on the foster parenting journey. If you're interested in supporting my work at A Fostered Life, please go to afosteredlife.com and click on the tab Support My Work. That will take you to my Patreon page where you can become a patron. Just $1 a month helps offset the cost of producing these resources and enables me to offer them freely to new and prospective foster parents. And I'm grateful for the support of my patrons. Thanks for listening and thanks for caring about foster care.